0: right? Christ resurrected. What a foretaste of deliverance, that his resurrection is just a foretaste of our very own. Man, that is that is important and good stuff there. Well, it's good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, It is a joy to be able to open up God's Word together, that we might uh, look at it and be shaped by it and God's Spirit to be at work in us, to be transformed more into the likeness of Christ. Because that's our goal as Christians. Th- that is our goal of the Christian life, is to not simply be saved as if that's the end goal. It is the beginning of life with Christ together. And so what a good thing that we get to continually be conformed and reformed to the, uh, 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 to the likeness of Christ. Christ. You know, I don't know what people uh, would say about uh, you. Uh, One of the characteristics that people sometimes describe me as is passionate. I don't get it. Um, I like to call it spirited. Uh, What's interesting, though, is that passion, at least as it's being described with me, is most often connected with loudness, okay? Uh, Passionate, uh, but then not just with me, passionate is often connected with charismatic actions. But here's the reality. I actually believe that the most inward of introverts is actually called to be passionate. And I don't think that has anything actually with this exuberant display of emotions but actually of the values that drive them. So whether Christians are introverted or extroverted, I believe are called to be passionate worshipers. Whether you raise your hand or keep them stiff arm by the side, we are to be passionate worshipers because we are to be passionate about what drives us to worship. I think that passionate worshipers has nothing to do with how loud we sing, whether we raise our hands or whether we even play an instrument. And I get that our call to worship today said make a joyful noise with a loud singing praise. I get that. And yet I think our passionate worship we too narrowly define as what it looks like um, maybe even in here as opposed to what our lives are to be about. So let's look at why I think I am, I'm convinced that every single Christian, if they bear the name of Christ, if they are covered in his blood, if they know that he has died on the cross for their sins and been raised from the dead and is a foretaste of what will be true of all of us, let's see why that calls us to be passionate worshipers together. That's our goal this morning. We started a core value series uh, last week and uh, that we're gonna be doing for, for six weeks all together. So this is week two out of six. We did this four years ago, but I'm convinced that too often we think that core values are like Apple, to, Apple iTunes agreements. Okay, we have to quickly click I agree so that our c- computer can restart, so our phone can restart, so we can get the latest update. But really our core values communicate something to us. They communicate what is important and they help us align ourselves wisely and help us jump into action. In fact, that's our goal is that these core values are not just nice information. It actually leads us to what do we want to focus on as our Christian life? What do we want to make prominent in our lives together? What do we want to be known for as a church? Well, last week, We looked at how we want to be known for faithful preaching and what God's Word is and how it accomplishes God's mission. And this morning, I want us to look at why a core value of Friendship Baptist Church, and I hope for each of us as Christians, is to be people who are passionate worshipers. We want to be known for passionate worship. So we are not in a single book of the Bible, which is a little bit unusual from what our normal diet is together together uh last week we were in isaiah 55 this morning we're going to be in hebrews chapter 12 and so if you have a bible i encourage you to open up to hebrews chapter 12 and we're going to only actually look at two verses together i know in times past i've gone through like 12 chapters in a single morning so two verses we you guys are going to be feeling pretty on this uh, but let me give you a uh, big idea of where we're going this morning okay as you turn to hebrews chapter 12 and by the way if you don't have a bible If you don't have a phone app that has the Bible on it, our passage is in our bulletin, so you can look at that together. Here's the the big idea I want us to come away with this morning. Invest your life to God because passionate worship reflects our Savior and our reward. Okay, invest your entire life to God because passionate worship reflects our Savior and And our reward. And so we're going to look at Hebrews 12, verses 28 and 29. And here's what the author of Hebrews writes. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Let me pray for our time in God's word. Lord, we don't want this to be an intellectual exercise. We want to grow in the knowledge of you, yes, but we want to grow in the, our confidence in you. We want to grow in our love of you. Lord, we want to grow in our, our desire to serve you in every moment of our lives. As the Lord, we pray that this would not just be more intellectual discussion, but this would be heart transformation that you do by your spirit through your word. So God, would you do that good work in us today through Hebrews 12? Do a heart work, do heart surgery that we need, that we may be further compelled to live not for ourselves, but for you. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, uh, it's interesting that the first part of our verses this morning begins with therefore it's almost like entering a conversation at the end of it and you're like hold on a second right so like this one time when i was in college i was uh, my mind had drifted during this lecture and i perked my ears up when i heard the phrase so in conclusion and i remember thinking conclusion i just started listening like, what happened to the last 90 minutes, you know? And so jumping at the end can make us miss why the conclusion is there, right? Everything leads up to the conclusion for the conclusion to hit right on our ears. And so when we come to our passage and the first word is therefore, then we realize our passage actually begins with a conclusion, and right anytime we are reading our Bibles and we see a therefore in the passage, it's dad joke time. We always ask, what is the therefore Therefore, But it's true. Well, what is, the, what is why is the, what, why, why is the therefore there? And so the book of Hebrews, if you haven't ever read it, boy, it's a powerful book. It's a good book to have read and have under your belt. It's, it's actually a sermon, okay? It was likely written to a group of Christians who had converted from Judaism uh, sometime between AD 64 and 69 is when, is when people think that this is written. And the Sermon of Hebrews is essentially describing that Jesus, the suffering servant who went to the cross stepping in our place to take the punishment for our sin against God, that, that Jesus the Son of God in the flesh, but he is better than anything else. That's what the book of Hebrews is about. So Hebrews chapter 1 is about the supremacy of Jesus over angels. Hebrews chapter 3 is is that Jesus is greater than Moses. Hebrews chapter 4 is Jesus is greater than even the Sabbath rest. Hebrews 5 to 7 is, is that Jesus is greater than the priestly role before God because Jesus is actually part of a better priesthood. Hebrews 8 through 10, we see that Jesus has made a better covenant and became the sacrifice for this better covenant. And then in Hebrews chapter 11, since this has been God's plan from the very beginning, people in the Old Testament have been placing their faith in God's promises all the way from Abel to Enoch to Noah to Abraham to Moses and King David and Samuel and the prophets and and what happens in Hebrews 11. And it says, by faith, these people did this. By faith, these people did this. And because Jesus is so much better and superior, Hebrews chapter 12 is our response as believers to Jesus. So Hebrews chapter 12, 12 verse 1 t- calls us to throw off our sin that so easily clings to us and run the race of faith looking to Jesus who is the founder of our faith. And then Hebrews 12 verse 6 it says don't give up on God who loves us so much that he's willing to correct us. And verse 11 says don't hate being disciplined because the result is incredible. In verse 15 of hebrews chapter 12 the way we respond to god matters we find out because bitterness as is warned in verse 15 will prevent our passionate worship to god in fact it says see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of god that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled and so because of jesus Verse 22 of chapter 12. The kingdom that we have come to is not the kingdom that was at Mount Sinai where there was a law that that, that kept our eyes veiled from seeing God. No, as believers in Christ, we have come instead to Mount Zion which is the eternal and unstoppable kingdom in the glorious presence of God. And so the conclusion, the therefore, is that if we have come to the unstoppable and eternal kingdom of God, and if God loves us enough to train us, even when it feels uncomfortable, but the result will be a fruit of righteousness, if God loves us, that was demonstrated by Jesus going to the cross, and if we have a crowd of witnesses encouraging us to continue to run the race of faith, then our lives and our gathering as a body must reflect the Savior that has saved us and the kingdom that we have received. The kingdom of God didn't fail in the Old Testament, and it won't fail now after the New Testament. The kingdom of God is forever, and even the gates of hell do not win against it. The kingdom of God cannot be shaken Therefore, we can live lives pleasing to God because we have received the kingdom of God, having placed our faith in Jesus. And one of the important ways that we live a life pleasing to God is through passionate worship of God through our entire lives. And so we need to invest our entire life to God because passionate worship reflects our Savior and our reward. So therefore, we got through the first word, therefore. Okay, let's see if we can get through the other words. Uh, Let's look at this second part, a call to be grateful. The, The rest of verse 28 that says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So therefore, our first response to God is to be grateful. Gratefulness is is helpful for us here, uh, but the phrase is literally, uh, this unmovable kingdom, receive it like a gift of grace. That's literally what is, is being said there. So the manner in which we have received the kingdom of God should be like a Christmas gift that is unexpected but really heartfelt in its giving when we receive it. That's the thing about Christianity. When we turn from sin to faith in Jesus, we don't just get a savior and a king, we get the whole kingdom. Gratefulness should come to us because the kingdom is an unshakable kingdom. Right? It's like that ultimate Super Mario superpower. It's a kingdom that nothing can win against it. I was reading uh, recently about the fall of the city of Constantinople. This city had stood for hundreds of years of attacks until someone forgot to lock the city gate. And then that's how it was captured by the Ottoman Empire. Friends, there is no door that will be unlocked for the kingdom of God to be overtaken. The kingdom of God cannot be shaken. Our gratefulness should reflect that the kingdom that we have received is unstoppable. And it is a gift of grace given to believers, given to us. Can you imagine that? This unshakable, unstoppable kingdom has been given given to us we have received it so our gratefulness towards god is also because it's a kingdom that we haven't earned but we have received anyway right we have received the kingdom we cannot create it we cannot manipulate it we cannot stop it it is something that we have received one thing that is true about us is that the reality is that we are too easily shaken. We are too easily displaced. Not only are we often too easily offended, we are also too easily tempted. So receiving the kingdom of God with Jesus our king is a remarkable thing for people who recognize that we haven't deserved any of it to begin with. See, that's often the problem ungrateful Christians forget what we've received and forget where we've been. We then replace a heart of thankfulness with a heart of entitlement and then we become bitter if it's not by our standards or in our timing. And so then we focus on what has been done to us and we ignore what God has done for us and then we let bitterness, which is like unthankfulness, rule our hearts so christian to be grateful get used to be saying get used to say thank you right one way to become grateful is by planting thank you seeds in our hearts yes we must cut down the trees of bitterness We must till the soil of our hearts uh, to up-earth the lies that we have believed about God and the lies that we've believed about ourselves. But then we need to plant thank-you seeds in our hearts. Look for ways to say thank you. Not the fast, the obligation, thank you, but, but the genuine, I did not deserve this kindness type of thank you. And say thank you a lot. So for example, there's a, there's a little boy in Awana who just turned five. And he has some difficulties and he can hardly speak a word. Uh, but we celebrated his birthday last Sunday night at Awana. And though he could not say the word thank you, his mom told me what he was trying to tell me. Only he didn't just say thank you for the birthday gift one time. He said it to me for about 15 times in about Five minutes. He just kept saying, thank you for the birthday bag. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. He was so grateful. He was so happy at his gift. Christian, look for ways to say thank you. Because what we have received is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We have received a kingdom that, that, that no power on earth can stop. Being grateful is also connected to being content, though, isn't it? Right? We cannot be grateful and offer passionate worship to God if we are not content with where God has us or what he's doing in us or the situations that are going on around us. So my dear friends, hold on to this truth that God is the sovereign God of the universe. The universe is his, and he does with it as he wishes, and it is always good. In fact, it's always very good. One Christian said it like this, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. So to be content is more than just accepting God's will for your life. It's delighting in it. When a person is content in God's will, they are desiring what God wants in their life also. And then contentment leads us to gratefulness. And gratefulness drives passionate worship so be faithful where god has planted you today when we practice grateful obedience long enough we find that we are no longer only submitting to god's will but we are delighting in his work you know people often think that grass is greener on the other side do you know where the reality reality where the grass is green It's where you water it. It's where you seed it. It's where you take time to to cultivate it. It's where you invest in it, and then all of a sudden you realize that grass is plenty green. So our gratefulness towards God will drive our passionate worship towards Him. So gratefulness should be displayed in our homes. Parents, what does gratefulness look like in your life? Could maybe your children's lack of gratefulness be a reflection of your own lack of gratefulness? Gratefulness should be displayed in our church. Right? We as a church are affected by what we do and what we say here at the church. And so our dynamic as a church body is related to the way that we interact with people here. Often the loudest voice has the greatest influence. So do you influence others towards gratefulness and contentment in Christ? Or something else? Gratefulness should be displayed in our workplaces. What do your coworkers think about how you view your life? God hasn't messed up your life, even in hard circumstances so do you display gratefulness to god at work gratefulness should be displayed wherever we go because whether we are at home or whether we are away second corinthians 5 9 tells us from our scripture reading that we make it our goal we make it our aim to please god and that includes. Thankfulness for receiving the kingdom of God. After all, to receive the kingdom of God means we are kingdom citizens. The reason we can passionately worship God, not simply just here on Sundays, but in everything that we do with our lives is because God's eternal perspective, God's kingdom cannot be shaken no matter what happens to us in this life. And I'll tell you what, Those words hit different this week, don't they? Those words hit different when we know what's going on around the world. Brothers and sisters, God's unshakable kingdom is filled with shakable people. Friends, are you willing to be the kingdom citizens? Even if everyone else in New Concord would hate you for it? Are you willing to be the body of Christ if it became illegal to worship? Are you willing to be the body even if it meant going to jail or potentially being killed? Right, we're convinced, as Romans 8 says, for I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And yet, doesn't it feel like we can just be so easily broken? Friends, the kingdom of God will not be shaken, though we still can be. And yet, though we are shaken, we are not eternally destroyed. We are not kept from being in the presence of God, no matter what happens tomorrow. And so what a great thing for shakeable people to have received an unshakable kingdom. So Christian, this also means that we need to display our gratefulness and grace towards one another. Right, if we have the propensity to be shaken, though the kingdom of God cannot be shaken, how should that affect how we relate to one another? How should that change how we support one another in the Christian life? Shouldn't it make us not want to stay anonymous? Wouldn't we want people to come and support us in our struggle because we need each other? Should the propensity of feeling shaken in this life be all the reason for us to link arm in arm together so we don't try to live out the Christian life alone? See, the reality is that we need to come alongside others because in our day of trouble, we will want them to come alongside us. So friends, invest your entire life to God because passionate worship reflects our savior and our reward let's look now the second part of verse 28 okay i got two points out of verse 28 uh, we're gonna get we're gonna we're gonna spill a little bit more out of this Ver, uh, 28b through 29 says this and thus let us offer to god acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our god is a consuming fire You know, in my house, I have told our kids that we cannot afford both kids and pets. And so if they want a dog, they just need to pick which sibling for me to put on Facebook Marketplace. And the other day, this backfired, Ella was telling people about our chickens, and she said, Daddy let us get chickens, and he didn't even give any of the kids away. (laughs) And she was really excited and grateful that that was a fact, which I'm not totally upset about. Full disclosure, I love my children. I would never give them away, just in case. Okay, this is being broadcasted, so. She was so happy with the gift that she was telling people about her generous daddy. (laughs) Bless her heart. In a similar way, when we have received the unshakable kingdom of God, It should not only lead us to be grateful, it should lead us to worship. If you notice, the author says to offer acceptable worship to God as a result of what God has been doing. So what does that mean? Well, I hope that it should at least make us think of Leviticus 10, with uh, Aaron's sons, right? Aaron the high priest, his sons, Nadab and Abihu, who offered to God unacceptable worship, and they were killed for it, right? Even the church of Corinth was coming together to worship in a way that was not acceptable to God in how they took the Lord's Supper. And what is it that Paul said to them? That is why some of you are sick and ill, and some have died because of the way that they were serving themselves, even during the Lord's Supper. So friends, let me give us, uh, there could be more, but let me give us five characteristics of how we should worship God. That if you're a Christian, these five things need to be the reality on how we worship God. We should worship God, we should see that acceptable worship is centered on Christ, not on ourselves. The whole context of Hebrews 12 is that the people of God have come to God not through the law at Mount Sinai but through Christ who is better at Mount Zion. So the law of Moses kept people's eyes veiled but only through Christ is the veil taken away. Acceptable worship should be patterned from what we see in the scriptures. We see things we see commands like preach the word or continue in the public reading of God's word and sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. Be devoted to prayer. Take the Lord's Supper in remembrance of him. And it goes on. So because God cares about his glory and his glory is reflected in how we worship, we should take care that our worship follows the pattern that God has given us in the scriptures. Acceptable worship to God is worship that is full of grace and truth. Right? Jesus told the woman at the well that we were to worship in spirit and in truth. We see that acceptable worship is actually beyond the whole body gathering. Romans 12 says that our entire lives are to be spiritual worship to God. Because worship is a form of devotion. And so we are to be passionately devoted to God, not just on Sundays, but in every day of our lives. So passionate worship, friends, does not necessarily, is not limited to what we do as a gathering here. What we do here should actually be similar to the overflow of how God has authority over every area of our lives. And then fifth, acceptable worship is done with reverence and awe, as our passage says here. God's glory should be our highest priority for how we worship him. So God calls us to worship him. We are to willingly offer our worship to God. Our giving of worship to God in reverence and in awe comes through our gratefulness for what he has done for us in Christ. So our worship must not be limited to our gathering together. The gathered body is important. In fact, it is essential to the Christian life, but it isn't the full extent of our worship to God. So if our worship to God stops at the door and we go out to the rest of the world, you can be guaranteed that we are worshiping something, but it just isn't God. Christian, we are to have every aspect of our lives as an expression of our devotion to God. So to worship and serve God with reverence and awe means we are to also remember the holiness of God. We're to show the greatness of God. Friends, that does not happen when in our trials we think that God doesn't see us or doesn't know or care about our circumstances. No, but the worship of God is evident in our trials where despite our circumstances we continue to live faithfully before Him. That does say much about the glory of God. God knows all and sees all, and is an all-consuming fire, our passage says. There's nothing mysterious about the Hebrew and Greek words that are translated as consuming fire. It's pretty much exactly what you think it is. They mean exactly that. A fire that utterly consumes or destroys everything that is not consistent with God. And friends, that's not a threat towards us, right? It's, it's actually it's a warning to drive us to God in Christ. Only the righteous can stand with the consuming fire of God's wrath against sin because sin is an offense to God's holiness. Isaiah also assures us that no amount of our own righteousness is ever sufficient but we have one who has made us righteous, don't we? And then Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, dying on the cross for the penalty of our rebellion against God, and then conquered death by being raised from the dead, and he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And so God has provided the righteousness we need by sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sin. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the warning that should drive us to the gospel, looking to Jesus because we have no righteousness on our own part. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you're thinking, man, these guys really make a big deal about Jesus. It's true, and it's because we are insufficient to contend with God. We need to be made right. We need to be forgiven by God because we are not neutral towards him. We have rebelled against him, but we can know him, and we can know his consuming fire not against us, but we can be joined in his kingdom through Christ. That's what I talked about earlier about how since we have received the kingdom of God. And so we can know that he is not against us. We can know that his kingdom will be our place for eternity. So maybe if you're a Christian, won't you come to faith today and receive this unshakable kingdom of God so that you don't know the consuming fire of God? christian we should know that how we worship matters right rather than treating sunday worship flippantly we should worship the lord properly and reverently we should want to get a good night's sleep so that it displays that we care more about worshiping god on sunday morning than the late night movie on saturday night and so because the worship of god matters our lives therefore matter Because the worship of God matters and because we are called to worship him, we have purpose. And the purpose of our life is to live a life pleasing to God, to worship him with every aspect of who we are. So passionate worship is not something that we only do here at Friendship Baptist Church. It is a life of submitting and delighting to every aspect of God. Passionate worship is a life of submitting every aspect of our lives to God and delighting in Him. Which means putting on a happy face on Sundays doesn't hide the rest of your week from God. Because worship is more than just Sunday. At work, be faithful in your work because God is a consuming fire. Friends, work is not secular Work should also be an act of worship. A few years ago, we went through a a discipleship hour class called Work as Worship by J.D. Greer, and he says this, the idea is that God has given us certain abilities and he enjoys it when we use them well. Eric Little uh, eventually became a missionary and served well in China for many years. But God had also given him the ability to run fast. And he used this ability in the Olympic Games. He was pleasing God by running just as he later pleased God as a missionary. Friends, work is not part of the curse of the world. It's part of actually being fruitful and multiplying and subduing the earth, which is the command that God not only gave to Adam, uh, it's also the command that God gave to Noah even after the fall, even after the flood. So at home, your parenting is an act of worship to God. So be faithful in training your children. Read the Bible with them. Ask them spiritual questions. Friends, don't teach them how to throw a curveball, but not teach them how to follow the Lord because we know the life throws us ball, anyways. So no matter what we do during the week we want to be driven by a passion to glorify Jesus in everything in our lives friends passionate worship is the result of our scripture reading of 2nd Corinthians 5 9 whether we are at home or away we make it our aim to please him which means that in order to have passionate worship brothers and sisters we must have hearts for God so things that compete with God in our hearts will prevent us from passionate worship. We're called to remove the idols of our hearts. Because remember what Jesus says in Matthew 6:21: where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There is no passionate worship when we love other things more than God. Our lives are Reveal what we love. Right? Remember what, Ma- what Jesus says in Matthew 7. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits, by what they do. He says, Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every tree... So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So friends, we remember that God is a consuming fire. And so we are to worship God with reverence and with awe. We're to remember the kingdom that we have received that is unshakable, though we ourselves feel so easily shaken, and we are to let passionate worship flow into every area of our lives. So brothers and sisters, invest your entire life, not just your Sunday morning, not your Sunday morning from 10.30 to noon, or whatever time the long preacher, long-winded preacher, long preacher preaches to, no, Invest your entire life to God because passionate worship reflects our Savior and it reflects what we've received, the unshakable kingdom of God. Friends, what an amazing God we serve. What an amazing gift the kingdom of God is. Friends, let us not forget what God has called us to and what he has brought us to and what he has brought us from let's pray heavenly father we we worship you sometimes lord just with our lips and our hearts sometimes don't even aren't even a part of it we can worship you with our lips and our hearts can be far from you and so lord we pray that we would remember the greatness of your plan of sending Jesus to the cross for in our place, and then that Jesus rose from the dead, defeating sin and death, that we would therefore become the righteousness of God, that we would be kingdom citizens and have received this unshakable kingdom. Oh God, would you help us to therefore be thankful be grateful, be content with where you have us, and Lord, may we then also respond in worship because you deserve all of our worship. You deserve our worship right now and this morning, but Lord, you deserve our worship when we go home, when we eat and we ask, am I eating for my own worship of me or for you? Or when we sleep, Lord, and we ask, are are we sleeping so that we can worship ourselves? or follow you faithfully. And Lord, when we go to work tomorrow, Lord, are we worshiping you or the paycheck or ourselves or the corner office? Lord, would you help us invest all of our lives to you that in all of our lives, you would be glorified. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Great God we serve. What an unshakable kingdom that we have received. Hear now our benediction from Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Enjoy the rest of your Lord's day. Stick around. Talk with us. Help us move the chairs off the tiled area for a water tonight if you're able to.